ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. As the second anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine approaches, Vladimir Putin has had his first major victory on the battlefield in months, with Russian soldiers capturing the city of Avdivka. So as the war enters its third year, is there really a chance Ukraine could still win, with the United States Congress holding up a multi-billion dollar aid package? Today we speak to a Ukrainian woman in Kyiv about what life looks like now and a military analyst on what to expect next. I'm Sam Hawley on Gadigal Land in Sydney. This is ABC News Daily. My name's Oleksandra Povoroznik. I'm a journalist. Uh, a film critic in a previous life. Um, but now I think I mostly write about the topic of the um, invasion and and the things that have been going on since mm. that happened. And you're living in Kiev? Yes, yes. And um, I'm, I've been living in Kiev all my life and, um, and, and still am here. So Yes. So, yeah. Two years since the war began. I mean, that might be quite hard to fathom that it's been so long. What is life like in Kiev? What's everyday life like? Just paint a picture for me because it'd be great to understand that. I think I think it's surreal and, um, you know, obviously all of Ukraine is still quite dangerous. There are safer cities. There are safe-ish cities. There are, you know, definitely, definitely not safe mm. cities. Um, so nowhere, nowhere is truly safe. The thing is that, you know, even while a war is going on, you do need to keep yourself sane mm. and also keep the economy afloat. So I think, you know, daily life looks surreal in the way that, you know, you may wake up at 6am to explosions and, you know, your your entire apartment building shaking and you might be convinced that, you know, this is the morning when you're going to die and, you know, you take shelter in your bathroom. And then, you know, once it stops, you might have, you know, a meeting at at nine o'clock and everybody else in that meeting, you know, was also woken up by explosions at 6 a.m. But, you know, by nine, they're all, you know, awake and drinking coffee and joking about work because, you know, these explosions and, and the air raid alerts, they've all sort of become part of the routine. Yes. And, you know, I think there's a lot of sort of black humour because of that. And it's abnormal, but it is a coping mechanism. Yes, of course. It must be even more difficult because you you do have children and your children are growing up with this around them. Yeah, honestly, I I was quite naive because when the fourth king invasion started, my kid, he was little over one years old. And I, I just I had this sort of very naive thought that, you know, that maybe the war would be over before he would be old enough to really sort of understand Mm. what's going on. But now he's, you know, he'll be four this autumn. So 
now, you know, we have to deal with reading picture books um, about the war and, and things like that. So it is it is surreal. Yes. And, you know, you, you do worry, obviously, um, about being unable to protect kids. Mm. So, so, yeah, as a mother, it is it, there are a lot of conflicting emotions. Tell me, what are your hopes for the year ahead, which, of course, is the third year of this of this war? I think in a way last year when we all sort of thought about the future, it seemed a little bit more hopeful than it does now. Right now, with everything that's going on in the world and, you know, everything especially that's going on in the U.S., um, it it is very unpleasant to sort of have to rely on another country. There are a lot of reports from the front lines about, you know, there not being enough ammunition and things like that. It is incredibly difficult and incredibly worrying. It does feel like a lot of the world has sort of lost interest. But... I do know that Ukrainians will keep fighting. And I think the question now is, you know, if we're going to do it with with sort of support um, from the outside world and fewer losses, or we'll have to do it with less support and more losses. I know that the year ahead will probably be very difficult, but I just hope that the world doesn't give up on us. I'm Eugene Rumer. I'm the director of the Russia and Eurasia program at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, which is a major think tank in Washington, I believe the oldest U.S. international affairs think tank. And, uh, you know, I've been working on things Russian for, for a long, long time. Eugene, we've been speaking to Alexandra. She's a Kyiv resident. She's really worried about the year ahead because I guess people in Ukraine have this feeling that international support is waning, but bigger than that is concern over American funding. And I want to talk to you about that in a moment, about what might happen this year in terms of funding for the war in Ukraine. But first, take me to Ukraine to give me a sense of where the war is up to, because this week the Russians scored a major victory in Avdivka. Trapped and under Russian fire. Ukrainian soldiers battling to hold their ground, outgunned 10 to 1. Exhausted and battle fatigued, these Ukrainian troops filmed themselves leaving Avdivka. Tell me about that and where that is. Avdivka in itself is not a major city. Uh, It's not far from Donetsk, which is a major city. And from what I understand, it just makes Russian positions around Donetsk more manageable, more easily defensible from future attempts by Ukrainians to recapture the city or conversely to launch new offensive operations deeper into sovereign Ukrainian territory. My reading of the tea leaves, based on what we know so far, is that it's almost more of a psychological victory for Russia than it is something that is an actual victory on the ground. In terms of square kilometers, in terms of 
movement of the line of contact. It doesn't appear to be a major breakthrough. But in terms of, you know, Putin having a deliverable by the time he is gloriously reelected next month and the Russian military claiming to uh, have achieved a major victory, yes, it is significant. There are fears that hundreds of Ukrainian troops are missing, that they may have been taken by the Russians. Yes, I've seen those reports still unconfirmed that the Ukrainian retreat from the positions was not as orderly as desired, let's put it this way, and that uh, there may be some POWs who put a lot, or a lot of Ukrainian soldiers killed. So again, that's a very unfortunate situation. Does it change the big picture? Not in my view. In the year that has passed since the first anniversary of the war, the line of contact has pretty much remained where it is. Mm. So the Russians have not achieved a whole lot, and the Ukrainians have not achieved a whole lot with their counteroffensive. The main action, as I think everybody understands now, is really in Washington. And the question is whether or not the United States will be able to deliver the assistance that it has to deliver to Ukraine. A $60 billion aid package from the United States has stalled in the Congress, with many Trump allies opposed to further Ukraine assistance. Mr Zelensky says he's ready to meet the Republican frontrunner to show him firsthand why it's needed. Keeping Ukraine in the artificial deficits of weapons, particularly in deficit of artillery and long-range capabilities, allows Putin to adapt to the current intensity of the war. And your interlocutor in Kiev, Alexandra, I think she's right to worry because I hate to kind of confirm that. I think the outlook for continued U.S. assistance is not great. And the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, so far is refusing to move this package of legislation forward. The Republican-led House will not be jammed or forced into passing a foreign aid bill that was opposed by most Republican senators and does nothing to secure our own border. It's inexplicable, but there is a hardcore, I wouldn't even call them conservatives. Uh, they're isolationist. They're against spending any money on foreign assistance. Ultimately, it all comes down to the will of one man by the name of Donald J. Trump. What do you think Ukraine's strategy is now for the year ahead? Does it have a strategy or is it just holding on? Well, it sounds like they have transitioned. Their new commander, um, uh, General Sirsky, just gave an interview and it sounds like they are switching to a strategy of strategic defense, fortifying, improving their defensive uh, lines. Defensive operations inherently are less demanding in terms of manpower, in terms of uh, material that's required. So um, they're transitioning to a strategy will require less of them in terms of these resources. Eugene, I guess 
the big question, and I'm not sure if you can answer it, is is there a chance that Ukraine could still win this war? And when and how will it end? I think, you, well, you know, what I think yes. doesn't matter. But, you know, uh, yes, Ukraine has a path to victory, but that path depends on the West being willing to support in every possible way Ukraine in its pursuit of, of that victory. And that victory, you know, disappointing as it may sound to our Ukrainian friends, uh, may not look like a complete restoration of Ukrainian territorial integrity and sovereignty immediately. And then, you know, the question is really, how do we define, how does Ukraine define its victory? Is it in terms of square kilometers that are reclaimed from under Russian occupation? Or is it in, you know, the country becoming much more closely integrated with Europe, making progress on its path toward membership in the European Union and ultimately NATO. You know, Ukraine becoming a prosperous, democratic, stable country that that is integrated in Western institutions, political, economic and security institutions. How much longer will this go on? Uh, it, it, can, it, it can go on for a long time. This standoff with Russia, unfortunately, will be a long-term enterprise. We cannot bet on Vladimir Putin departing anytime soon or, frankly, on his successor necessarily changing things dramatically. Eugene Rumer is director of the Russia and Eurasia program at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace in Washington. Alexandra Povoroznik is a Kyiv resident and journalist. As you would have seen, the leading Russian opposition figure, Alexei Navalny, died in a Russian prison last week. We covered the fallout from his death on Tuesday. Look for Can Anyone Take on Putin and Survive? This episode was produced by Bridget Fitzgerald and Nell Whitehead. Audio production by Sam Dunn. Our supervising producer is David Cody. I'm Sam Hawley. Thanks for listening. <laughs>